Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 354 for November 8th, 2022. On this episode, composer Molly Joyce is joining me on the occasion of her new album, Perspective. This is Molly's second appearance on this podcast. Welcome back, Molly. And I'm endlessly fascinated by the way her work focuses on disability as a creative source. And I want to give you this quote. I wasn't going to get into this yet, but I have to. I know we're still in the intro. Let's not go too deep, but I want to give you this quote from Pitchfork in their review of this album. They said, Perspective, this album, is a powerful work of love and empathy that underscores the poison of ableism in American culture. Ay, come on for that pull quote. <laughs> so we'll, I'll be talking to this composer and we'll be listening to some of her music today too. Uh, I am your host, by the way, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and dormant activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for over 17 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, you can stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. And I really would love to hear from you. Hello, welcome to the show. This is the check-in time where I talk about the things I would like to check in about. <laughs> um, I'm working on some... I, I've been in this phase lately of... Um, how do I do this without getting too deep? I uh, my, my teaching, I'm, I'm a teacher. I've probably mentioned this a million times on the show. Um, my piano teaching business this year, I got very serious about uh, policies, billing, a lot of different things, just so I could really make it a business. And um, this has me on top of my budget in a way I never have been before. Um, and I'm thinking about starting to post this progress on YouTube. I don't want to go too deep in it right now, but but the general idea is, holy shit, I'm 53 years old, um, in a ton of debt, and um, I don't have anything safe for retirement. So what do you think about that as a YouTube channel? Um, but one of the reasons is I came to a place finally where I kind of realized like, okay, so there's no shame here. Like this is just the situation. And I think that shame is something that it kind of has me in this position where, you know, I grew up at a time, well, I mean, it's still that time, isn't it? Where being an artist and a musician is sort of like eh, not considered a real thing. And I really internalized that a lot. I also have a pretty scorching case of ADHD, which makes it difficult to see bigger picture stuff. But there's a lot of like, I feel like I've kind of come to a place where I'm like, not as feeling shameful about that. Uh, as I did before. So anyway, does that resonate with you at all? If I were to start doing a series of videos about that, uh, partly because I've been looking for someone who is in this position <laughs> who's doing videos about getting out of it, and you don't really find that exact thing. Uh, so it might be interesting to to just put it out there. Um, yeah. I'd really love your feedback on that if you're listening and, and it registers with you. Um, if you do feel like asking questions like, how would you let this happen or any other sort of shaming thing, please just keep that to yourself. I, I don't, I'm already good with that kind of, <laughs> that perspective. Thanks. Um, the other thing is that I'm starting another creative project. It's a very small one um, that I'm hoping to have wrapped up by the end of the year and um, to share with folks. So 
I'm just saying that also to keep myself accountable. Uh, and that's really the check-in that I have for you today. Um, I want to make sure I thank my subscribers on Patreon for powering this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines and bonus podcasts. There are now, this this week's will be the 91st bonus podcast. I can't believe it. I still can't believe, I, what is this, episode 300-something of 354 podcasts plus 91 now bonus podcasts that if i could add quickly i'd tell you what that total is but that's a lot of podcasts that's a lot of podcasts uh, well anyway you'll have immediate access to all those podcasts when you subscribe including this week's bonus episode which will feature an extended conversation with today's guest molly joyce the track we're about to listen to is uh, called Interdependence. But I want to talk to you about the premise of, of what you're about to hear. Um, Molly interviewed 47 different people about how these different words, what they meant to them. Uh, so that you're going to hear the responses. What does interdependence mean to you? And you'll hear it. It's going to make sense now. So I'll stop talking and let's listen to... Molly Joyce, Interdependence, and this is from the album Perspective. What is interdependence for you? The most foundational part of existing for me. How you interact with, with the world is a, a direct relationship to interdependence. Boundaries. If there's anything, I would say that I'm interdependent on my chair as a tool, not as a place, um, or my walker, or whatever I use as a tool. Uh, but I don't consider myself inter interdependent on people. Trust and also care, and knowing one's strengths and weakness, and embracing those things is surrendering to your neighbor. About rejecting that mastery model that would suggest I know it all, I can do it all, I will impose it all on everyone else. And it is humbly recognizing that actually all of our lives are facilitated by multiple others usually unseen other. Wherever any of us got, it, it required so many others uh, to support us and we should value that rather than suggest that as some sort of weakness. Collaboration. Access and inclusion and lack of access and exclusion are interdependent on each other. A way of life for me, can I be as you like? So much of my life is the exercise and interdependence. Uh, you know, as somebody who dates, basically total help with daily activities. Uh, you have to share yourself with others. You have to share your privacy with others. You have to be dependent on others and. Uh, have a lot of your life, your wellness, and your ability to do things, all, you know, up to certain groups of people. 
said that to be incredibly scary and um, I feel like I've lost the control. It's about being invested in others' lives just as much as your own. To be connected to each other because you want to be and because you need to be. Um, not because you're expecting something in return. I think human beings are naturally interdependent. I get here by the bus driver and the shop that sells me milk or coffee, uh, my porter at the door of my building, all of those other things, which we take for granted, enable us to live the life we appreciate. And I think that normally people ignore it. And they think the disabled people are the ones that need extra help. But we're all interdependent. The only way to be successful and in truth in some ways to be happy is that kind of interdependence you get when you engage with other human beings. So interdependence is that reliance that we have back and forth, that exchange we have, not just for physical need, but also emotional need. Um, it, it's the fact that it's not I, it's never I, it is always me. Everything. <laughs> realizing that we all have our care networks and we all need them. That was Interdependence from Molly Joyce's new album, Perspective. And Molly Joyce is joining me for a second visit to the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's so cool to sort of like touch base again after, you know, it's been at least a couple of years. I should have looked up to see when I talked to you last. You have a new album, Perspective, and the track we just listened to, Interdependence, is from that. Um, is, it, is it possible to give like a... The elevator yeah. pitch, I guess it's called. How much time do you have now? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the album, I call it kind of like a disability interview album. Um, so it features what I like to say, like the voices and viewpoints of disabled interviewees responding to um, concepts like what is access for them, um, what is care for them. And it's and it was originally a... Um, installation yeah like there's so much i learned about this that i didn't realize this was all going on uh, yeah it's more of yeah definitely the initial impetus was an installation for like a public art festival um as part of a fellowship um i was involved with that halcyon arts lab in dc which then that was like from 2019 to 2020 so that of course that festival got canceled with covid um and then from that i guess with the covid cancellation but i think even from the start of the project i was I wasn't always envisioning it as an album, to be honest, but I was trying to keep it as flexible as possible. I think especially COVID showed me to do like online presentations or the video formats, et cetera. Um, although I still, I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this, but I do feel like the dream format for it is the installation, like very, very much being immersed in it with the sound and the projection in front of you. The inspiration for the album was really interesting to me as as it's written about in the press stuff. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, so I guess the 
Um, so I, I'm fortunate to have a kind of di- um, an ongoing, whatever dialogue, if you will, with Judy Human, who's kind of a legendary disability activist. Um, she had this, a memoir come out a few years ago, I highly recommend. And she's also featured prominently in Crip Camp, um, the Oscar nominated documentary on Netflix. Um, and in one of my conversations with her, um, she's really just She's such an amazing mentor to so many people because I feel like she always knows the right question to ask at the right time, kind of progress your thinking. Um, And in one of my conversations with her, she asked why I referred to my left hand as weak. Um, And my left hand was impaired in a car accident about 20 years ago. Um, And I knew that I would always say, like, if I had to explain why I couldn't do something or lift something, et cetera, or if someone asked what happened, I would usually just say like, oh, I have a weaker left side just to try to get it over with, I think, and kind of get my disability out of the room in a way, like as fast as possible or not go into a deep explanation. I think also a lot of times for disabled people, like sometimes when you go into a deeper explanation, it elicits more questions, which can sometimes be really nice conversation or lead to a not so nice conversation. It'd be a little more, I don't know the right word, traumatizing or so sometimes mm-hmm. get, we try to just get it out of the room as quickly as possible. Um, and this question really struck me because I don't think Judy was saying I have to refer to it as my strong left side and deny weakness altogether, um, but really to think about what weakness means to you know myself as a disabled person. Um, but then we just started talking about it as a really essential concept for disability culture and the disabled experience, um, and really wanted me to motivate like motivate me to ask like yeah to uh, people across the range of disabilities and experiences really like what is weakness to you or what does that feel like to you? Um, what do you gain from that concept? I didn't write this number down. Was it 47 different people that you interviewed for this? Am I remembering that number or did I just make it up? Oh, yeah, yeah, so far. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, with the project's taken a couple different iterations, which has been nice. So it started with that kind of original iteration in DC, which I think had about 20 participants with that. And then um, took on a new iteration with Minnesota with the festival there, um, and then one in Idaho with the disabled dance group there. It's such an interesting project because, of course, it makes me think differently about disability, hearing the perspective of all these different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our conversation that we had last time, really, like, I think the thing that's really so cool about your work, it sort of raises questions about assumptions <laughs> I've always had, you know, or, you know, we talked the last time we talked um, about virtuosity as musicians and, um, and it really sunk in with me because, you know, for what, you know, having studied music too, like that whole, you know, there was a whole part of being a musician that was about like being it, like music was about being able to achieve particular movements, like being able to play a particular way. Yeah. And so that sort of really opened my mind about like, wait, that's not what music is like. And and our conversation really, you know, opened that up for me. And I think this really, I don't know, like the, the question about why, uh, why you would refer to your left hand as weak, Mm -hmm. really, uh, it opens up all these questions that I haven't asked. And I think that's why, uh, I get a little bit like stumped about like, ah, how do I express this? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's that answer like for you? Now I'm wondering if you even answered it already, <laughs> but like, what, h- how did you answer that question when, when she asked? Yeah, it's funny. Cause I believe if I remember correctly, I think I was telling her about a collaborator of mine, Jaron Herman, and we both have like impaired left sides. And I think I said, we both have weaker left sides. And I think that's where she started getting on the weakness um, track in a way. Um, and I think I was 
I was kind of speechless there. I think I had a response because, again, it's like these words that you're so used to saying to kind of explain your condition or, you know, in this case, the collaboration. Um, so it really stumped me. And I feel like even to this day, having done these interviews, I still feel um, just as confused, I think, in a good way more. I don't have a clear answer. I mean, sometimes I feel like my answer to the questions is maybe through the music, but that's very much drawn from the interviewee's answers. Um, so for me, I think I still feel like at a starting point with those questions. I feel like in a good way, though, where I don't have a very prescribed answer. There's, I just think a lot about, and I put some of this in in my email to you when we were discussing this show, <laughs> that like... Uh, another thing with me is that I'm I'm older. I'm 50, mm-hmm. 53. I'm old enough that I'm forgetting how old I am. And um, and reading glasses is something that I need now. I became aware of this long time of just like struggling through and like, mm-hmm. no, I don't need those yet. And just trying to hide the fact from myself. Yeah. You know, it's, and I still like sort of make sort of comments when I have to get out my reading glasses now to read something like, ah, oh, I'm like <laughs> so old. But I think that something about your work reminds me like, oh yeah, like we're all just in the bodies that we're in. Yeah. And um, I don't know, does that, does that go anywhere for you? Like, No, you know, I, uh, I think, I don't know if I'm going to articulate it well, but like that we're, I don't know, we're, we all strive towards the ma- the maximized body, I think in a way. And um, I think even the question of cure, like one of my interviewees said, you know, from the moment we're born, we start deteriorating in a way or we grow up, but then uh, like we're always on this process of disabling in a way, which I found really interesting. Um, and I think your comments, I don't know if maybe because this is like top of mind, but I watched this TV show like last week and one of the characters, there was a reality show and she said, I don't want to end up like that person in a wheelchair because she had like hip issues, surgery and it's like, I feel like if you take that sentence and apply it to like, well, I don't want to end up like a female or like it would sound so wrong, but it's amazing to me how a lot of these ableist thoughts like get reiterated through society. And I have it myself as well, you know, where I'm going through physical therapy for various things related to my disability, but it's like disarming when you start to lose some of that too, or you just um, very frustrating first, I guess, in a way. And, um, and so many of these ableist things that we say, are still somehow acceptable, quote unquote, That's like what, in our society. Uh, it just amazes me. And I don't mean to like, I'm not a very con- confrontational or con- I don't really like conflict. And I don't mean to say like that word is bad, this word's right or something. It just more amazes me that these phrases you hear that, again, if you apply it to another minority, it would sound like completely out of whack or so completely problematic. And um, and I think it doesn't help anyone, like the non-disabled or disabled person, these words and terms or these um, perceptions overall of this fear and stigma of disability. Mm. Yeah. And this sort of shame that people, it implies a, a, a certain amount of shame that people are expected to feel about not having the right kind of body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like, but because um, it's like, yeah, I think when I initially started getting into disability studies, so I was thinking like, yeah, like, what is the right type of body? <laughs> you know, I just started thinking, like, what are we all striving for? Like, I don't have a clear image in my head or something. As yeah. Like, um, yeah, there's a, there was a moment I had, it was a while ago, but I try to kind of <laughs> cling to it. This idea of like, what if the big joke on all of us is that really are like perfect uh, 
incarnation or our perfect existence happens mm-hmm. like the split second before we die. Like the whole yeah. <laughs> process of our lives is to get us to that point of perfection. Yeah. You know, like all our aging and all these things we're trying to do to avoid getting older is like, no, yeah. that's that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. the that's the gift. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um what doing all these interviews, um <laughs> Did you learn anything that you didn't expect to learn from mm-hmm. conducting these interviews and listening to I'm sure you listened to them countless times. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think because this whole thing has been done over a process of three years, you know, or so some of the editing was or, or sorry, like two years ago. So it's not super fresh in my mind, but um definitely learning on the perspectives. I think especially I related to a lot of interviewees who acquired disabilities. Like I think it was the question about um is it or cure again, um, like in one interview, he talks about who acquired her disability, I believe the vision impairment. She says like, yeah, you always wonder about like, what if that didn't happen? Or, or for me, like that accident, but then you wonder who you would be today, like without that, or if you'd be the same person that kind of gives me chills. Because <laughs> of course, I mean, I personally don't think about it all the time, but it's hard not to, or especially when you're fresh off the accident to think like, oh, if that didn't happen. Um, and also I think especially with the um the Minnesota iteration, like the last four tracks on the album, I interviewed a lot of um, um participants with vision impairments. Um and like one of the questions with starkness. Um, and I think that was super interesting, some of the answers I received. Um, even some of them were like, in darkness, you still see twirl the color, it's not completely dark, you know, and and a lot of the darkness doesn't scare me in a way, especially for blind people and um just very, very interesting for me. Mm. Uh, it's this. Uh, this is one of those albums too that I'm like, ah, oh, I need to listen to that. There's so many <laughs> pieces of what's happening. I've listened to the album, but uh, I've, as you're talking about, it, I'm like, oh, I should go back and re-listen no, to sure so many of these things. Yeah, quickly, kind of. <laughs> yeah, the um, I'm I'm curious, like from a musician standpoint, what what that process was like. Like, did did you set out? From the beginning of this, and my apologies, you may have answered this question already, okay. knowing that you were going to assemble all these pieces of interviews into, or did you walk into it sort of with an openness, not sure where they things would land? Yeah, I think I wasn't totally sure because I'd never done a project like this. I had been longing to make my work more communally engaged in a way or highlighting other viewpoints rather than just mine, but was struggling I think for a while to find a way to do that really authentically and almost like ethically in a way too or not override it with my like artistic stamp in a way mm-hmm. um, and so at the beginning I remember or I knew I was in this fellowship in DC so I knew this festival was coming up so I was like let me just start doing the interviews like I have the questions I'll record it and first I was like let me just get the interviews done I'll think about the next stage or how I go about then I guess I just, I think I had this inclination that I just started editing them down to the highlights for each interview, um, putting them in a temporal order from that, and then adding my music underneath. Um, but it was definitely, and it was interesting, last year I did the Minnesota iteration, um, or wrote that, and it's definitely the most challenging music I think I've written in a way, or, or like, yeah, challenging to write just because I don't want to override their opinions too much, and I'm trying to give a you know, like ambient, intuitive musical feeling in a way, but also make the music interesting and not just like a drone or not something that doesn't develop. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm usually pretty happy with the results in the end, but I think during it, especially last year, I was like, oh, why did I do this to myself again? Just (laughs) so different. And I also, I guess I 
wrote most of the music in Logic, like without a score, which is just very, I usually write everything down, like notation-wise, or I'm so comfortable working that way, um, which is probably why it was good for me to do that process, but... Um, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I just like, I'm like, I'm in a like a world with my creative process. Yeah, yeah. Where for some <laughs> yeah, reason, I'm doing things. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I kind of am not. I haven't done anything for a while, and I, and I'm realizing like, oh, I, I need to regroup. Like, I'm realizing like, oh, this, is, I need a different process. So it's mm-hmm. like, I, it's really interesting to hear to hear about yours and that you've changed a bit in that mm-hmm. you're not notating things. So. Did you start like I, I paused because I'm like, oh, am I getting too is this too much? Oh, no, no, is this no, too much for the listeners to hear these uh-huh. questions? But I think maybe it's worth uh, worth talking about. Like, did you start using the the clips? The um, choose like the audio clips you wanted first and assemble them in an order you liked, and then start applying adding the music to that, or was there a different process than that? Yeah, definitely. And I say too, I'm glad someone's interested in the process. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> you know, as a composer, when you're working alone, you're like, oh, it's just me and my crazy mind. But um, Oh, yeah. And always wondering, like, is this is this going what I'm doing? Yeah, 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 exactly. You just feel like you're making it up as you go. But um, yeah, so I would, yeah, I would edit it down to the highlights for each interview. And I guess just to add quickly too, I have on my website for whoever is interested, but I uploaded all the full interviews and full transcripts of interviews conducted just because I feel like my editing was obviously very biased and subjected. So I did want to open it up just to have it as an option if anyone's interested. But um, but yeah, but then I would have the highlights for each section like access and then um, put it in a temporal order to like one, I was usually striving for contrast between voices, like a female voice versus male voice or something that or to not have it like all male voices and figures to have some variety. Mm-hmm. And then also um, sometimes the answers I feel like really flowed into one another. If they're talking about similar things or the opposite. Like I like to often put answers that kind of contradict each other next to each other. Um, if it made sense just to um, hopefully show the diversity and really like plurality of the disabled or disability community. Um, Cause sometimes I feel like people think disabled people have a um, very like, single-minded view of say access or care or cure and just to really show that there's so many different viewpoints out there it's very individualistic in a way um yeah so it's kind of how and then sorry get to get back to your question I then I would add the music underneath like first it's just midi like kind of sketches um and then depending on the music I would sometimes actually make a rough score for to record it on my organ and voice and then add processing and so forth Mm. And then send it to my amazing engineer, Michael Hammond, too, to make it sound good. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great to have an engineer, too. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. The funny thing, listening to the album, I was listening to it for the first time. I was running around. I teach in the afternoons. and I go from place uh, to place. Uh-huh. Um, and I was listening like, oh, that's interesting. Is she using an accordion? And then it was suddenly like, no, of course not. It's the uh-huh. organ. It's the organ that you use. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear that for people who are listening and may not know your work very well yet, um, the well, can you describe this chord organ that you that you mm-hmm. play? And it's is it it's what well, it's but now that you've described your compositional project process, uh-huh. I guess it's not your main instrument, but it's a very the one that you use f- quite frequently. Yeah, definitely. It's like a um, I use specifically a Magnus brand electric vintage toy organ. Uh, most of them are from the sixties and seventies. Um, I discovered them on eBay about 10 years ago, and I always joke it was kind of my ticket to Brooklyn, if you will, because it was 
cute vintage out of tune, this weird instrument that I initially really saw as a toy or an accessory. I didn't think it was like significant enough to do um, a major solo practice on it. Um, but then once I started adding electronics and playing around with it more, I realized that it was almost made for my body, if you will, because um, it has these chord buttons on the left-hand side and a keyboard part on the right-hand side. Um, so it feels very natural for me to perform on with my disability, um, especially in my left hand, I don't have much dexterity. And those chord buttons, all you have to do is like push them in or yeah, push them in or push them out in a way. Um, actually, sorry, push in from both different sides or something, but um, it feels very natural for my left hand and is featured a lot in my worst works, especially that I perform and record on. Um, and then eventually I've added my, my voice and so forth. I don't know if you remember, I had one of those when I was a kid in in, yeah, the, in the actual 70s. Um, but it's oh, yeah. one of those things that's really interesting just about my um, experience of your work. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, I wanted a piano. And I was like, ugh, this terrible thing. It sounds awful. Especially as I got older, I thought of it as this disgusting, gross thing. <laughs> but it's really nice to like be like, no, that, that it's an instrument. And you... It's yeah. beautiful the way that you use it. The instrumentation on the album, we have the organ mm -hmm. um, and your voice, which sounds like it's been layered quite a bit in places. Is there what any other instruments going on? Are you using other synths, anything else within that? Yeah, just uh, my usual, I export MIDI from Sibelius usually, or, or sorry, this one kind of varied from sometimes the toy organ MIDI or MIDI voices from Logic um, virtual instruments or from Sibelius, it kind of varied. And usually I kind of like combine those with the live sounds because um, I think, I don't know, it's just the sound I like in a way, or I like the like half electronic feeling, like non-human feeling in a way. And yeah. It can be very precise with rhythm. Um, some... I think not a lot of tracks have this, but like the one control is a little more rhythmic and that involves like hitting on my organ or like samples from that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's so cool. I love hearing your, your process. And there's yeah. also that part when you, I love that you mentioned working on your own and as a composer, because there's still, yeah, <laughs> I, I have that experience a lot. And I think of the first time I performed any of my work in front of anyone yeah. and this moment, like a couple days before that I was like, no, like I hadn't played any of it for anybody. Yeah, and I was like, is this just like, what if this is like really shit? Like, what if this is terrible? And there was no one to tell me like, stop, don't do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's an interesting process because at least for myself, you know, I compose in MIDI so much and like, yeah, sometimes if you listen to like a mix, a mastered version of one of your pieces sounds amazing, you know, and then you go to compose in MIDI and it really sounds bad, even if it's the most brilliant thing ever, you know, yeah, something that sounds bad in MIDI will sound really good live or, and so for me, I try to like, it's easier said than done, but I try to just tell, tell myself to keep going or especially like with this project, once I started processing the sounds a little more, like getting some live recording and it started to take shape more, I think, but but it's hard in the composing aspect because for me, it's like I don't want to start recording until I'm really sure on the rhythm and everything, or I just like to be as efficient as possible. But um, do you record all the stuff at home? Uh, yeah, with my SM58. <laughs> oh, okay. wait, SM58. Oh, or it's a mic. Yeah, like dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I have these moments like, wait, SM58. I know what that is. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a microphone. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the album itself and how you've worked to make it accessible. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, when I thought of that question, I didn't even, hadn't even realized that you had put all of the interviews up with uh, transcripts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just so interesting to think of making music accessible um, because it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things, especially as um, a non-disabled person that mm-hmm. I only recently been like, holy shit, there's a lot that I should have been doing oh. with my podcast and with these various things. Um, and when we're working in audio, it's embarrassingly not something that I have thought of before of like, yeah. oh, I need to make this accessible to people who can't hear. Yeah. Um, what is that like it maybe well I'll let me let you answer instead of well, <laughs> over describing oh no so, yeah so when the project yeah it was envisioned as that installation and I was really fortunate to I have like kind of a project curator with it named Sandy Gutman who at the time she was working at the Hirshhorn Museum in DC um, and now she's at University of Illinois Chicago and she is just that has been such a great resource throughout the trajectory of this pro- um, project and in the beginning, we started talking about, like, we knew we wanted a video element. I was starting to work more and more with captioning in my videos. And then she had the idea for, like, the sole visual output to just be the captions, like, with the question on the top and their interviews answers running through text at the bottom. Um, and I really love that because often accessibility facets, um, just in, in general with artistic context, like captioning, sign language interpretation, um, audio description, and so forth, are kind of tacked on at the end of their artistic process mm-hmm. um, right before presentation. And so I feel like they're generally viewed or heard as not very, you know, aesthetically pleasing in a way, which sometimes is preferred for some users too. I'm not saying that's there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I always love the challenge of trying to artistically integrate it. So it's really a crucial part of the artwork, or if you took it away, it would seem like something's missing. Um, so I really love this idea with this project or to have those videos and just be that, the sole visual output and especially to leave the middle of the video frame just totally black to hopefully up to the the audience member's imagination. Um, I would add to the ideal format would to be ha- would to have um, would be to have sign language interpretations for all the videos. Hmm. I did explore that, but it was a little bit cost prohibitive to think about the work involved. But um, hopefully one day I'll be able to do that. Your descriptive description of the videos kind of presented a perspective that I hadn't realized yet. And uh-huh. and I don't know if this is what you intended, but the thought of, you know, like you mentioned, captions often are just tacked on and just like, oh yeah, here's this. And yeah. it's interesting that in, in your work and in these videos, it's quite the opposite. That's the captions and, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we didn't, we, we didn't do anything with this middle part. It's black. Yeah, exactly. Like this is about, about the, making it about the accessibility in a way yeah definitely and i will point out too there's so many other disabled artists like exploring this as well or like creative use of captioning like christine sun kim um carolyn lazard um liza sylvester i could go on or i'm definitely not the only one um but i just again i love that challenge and it's also interesting to me too like um, when I started, first started working with captioning, I had a video collaborator who like really didn't want them in, I think, um, which I understand because I think when I first started getting disability stuff too, like we're just not used to it in a way. And it made me start thinking about how like, I think we're so conditioned in society to view accessibility facets or hear them as not like, again, aesthetically pleasing, like as not part of the artwork. Um, 
And I've even had comments with these videos, since it's only text, like sometimes people will say, where's the visual? <laughs> or you should put a visual in the middle of the video frame. Um, and I just I just find it interesting in a way, um, like what that, you know, the result of that. It's interesting the way it makes me think of like surtitles in opera. Like yeah, in like that, in that setting, it's like, <laughs> oh, we have surtitles. Like it, it, in an opera, we treat it as... Like, like something special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, may, is that, uh, uh, am I trying to put ableism where it isn't? You know, it just feels like oh, because it's like this special tradition, of course we're doing this. Uh, but if it was something to make something more accessible to people, like, oh, uh, I don't know if yeah. you're doing that. That's interesting. I'd have to look that up more because, um, I feel like I read an article or two about how like opera is the most primed art form, or at least in music, to have disability aesthetics. Oh. <laughs> this tradition of surtitling, um, which is essentially captioning, you know, in a way. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'd have to think about it more. Yeah, I think I will also think about it more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should wrap up this part of our conversation. It's always great to talk to you and always very mm-hmm. like... Um, whatever that thing I was trying to describe the whole time we were talking. <laughs> oh, oh, no, thank you. Thanks. So <laughs> Thanks. And um, your website is mollyjoyce.com. Um, the album is on New Amsterdam Records. And w- is your website the best place to go to, like, but I, I'm going to say I think it's the best place to go. Your website is great, by the way. There's oh, and it's so that. it's so comprehensive. Oh, um, is there anywhere else people should go to make sure they're on top of all things Molly? Um, yeah, I think the website is the best resource. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, let's listen to Weakness from Molly Joyce. What is weakness for you? Weakness. Gosh, that's so loaded. <laughs> yeah, it's not a word I, th- I think about that much, and I wonder why. is one of those words that I have trouble defining insofar as it is often defined for me and actually most people find weakness is defined for them by somebody outside and that ends up becoming internalized. Some disabled people are weak some of the time but so is everybody else. I can find it hard to admit when I'm, when I'm, when I'm feeling weak. The openness there is also an openness to potential hurt. The default way of, of being and existing in the world. I feel a lot of like weakness and fragility in my body and that feels really connected to how I move through the world and I interact with people who don't have that experience of their body but I often feel like that is kind of a myth that they're, that they're living in. Internalizing what other people think I'm able to do. I don't know how many times a day, a week, a month, a year, people say like, you're such an inspiration for doing blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm such an inspiration for being on the sidewalk. Like, that's, how about I'm an inspiration because I persevered through an educational track and went on to do X, Y, and Z and build this professional career. Like, why isn't that inspirational? I believe weakness is a lack of understanding. I just wish this is my superpower. I just 
of power as well. Everybody has weaknesses, and most of us don't like to admit to them. When I first started losing my eyesight, obviously my vision impairment was a massive weakness. You know, that can certainly consume you with regard to every aspect of your life, whether it's, you know, um, preventing you from doing things professionally, whether it's preventing you from doing things socially, whether it's preventing you from doing things personally. Um, and if you allow that to basically um, consume your entire life, then you end up in that dark hole or pit. And uh, that's where, you know, a lot of us have been there. And I'll admit that I certainly have been in that dark, dark hole um, a few times myself during my journey. From Molly Joyce's latest album, Perspective, that was the track entitled Weakness. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining me on the podcast today. As always, if you're a patron, go by patreon.com slash Michael Heron, and you can get a bonus podcast interview with Molly and myself. Uh, you'll get an email about that, too, when it, when it publishes. So uh, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. I got a run of great interviews coming, so stay tuned. If you're not subscribed, subscribe already. I think they call it following now. Now I'm just saying things. Okay, we're, we're done. Goodbye.